Hello, and welcome to Nonprofit Nation. I'm your host, Julia Campbell, and I'm going to sit down with nonprofit industry experts, fundraisers, marketers, and everyone in between to get real and discuss what it takes to build that movement that you've been dreaming of. I created the Nonprofit Nation podcast to share practical wisdom and strategies to help you confidently find your voice, definitively grow your audience, and effectively build your movement. If you're a nonprofit newbie or an experienced professional who's looking to get more visibility, reach more people, and create even more impact, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Nonprofit Nation. Another episode. Thrilled to be here with you today. Thanks so much for listening, by the way. I really appreciate you taking some time out of your day to listen to this show. Today, we're going to talk about something I'm passionate about, and you know me, small nonprofits. So nonprofits with small and very small budgets, a few hundred thousand dollars a year, down to the very smallest budgets. And we're going to talk about fundraising and all sorts of things, social media, board governance, I have an expert here, an author, Eric Hanberg. He spent 20 years working with nonprofits. In addition to serving as the director of two nonprofits, he served as an interim ED twice and worked for nonprofits in marketing and fundraising. He's also served on boards and committees for more than a dozen organizations, often in leadership roles, and several times during a capital campaign. He's the author of four books for nonprofits, uh, focusing on the very, very, very small nonprofits, which I love, around nonprofit management, fundraising, social media, and board governance, which have collectively sold tens of thousands of copies. And now he is the director of marketing, did I get that right, at KNKX Public Radio in Seattle and Tacoma. Welcome, Eric. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So how did you get into this work? And tell me about your current job in public radio. I'm a huge fan of public radio. I am a huge fan of public radio too. And working in it turns out to be uh, something of a dream job for me. I fell into this work because of a real love for my hometown of Tacoma, Washington. I just really wanted to help it out. We've kind of had a, been the underdog to Seattle. And so I started working at an economic development nonprofit, helping with that. And the stars aligned, and I got a job running a small nonprofit movie theater. And I'm a huge film buff. So now I was, you know, supporting Tacoma in my head and also getting to work in the movies. And that was amazing. We hadn't really done any fundraising before that as a nonprofit. And so I got to, I got to start that. I got to try everything basically. And lots of fits and starts, lots of things where later I was like, man, that did not work. So that was kind of my my introduction. And then another job later was working in fundraising at my Catholic high school. And if you ever want to know what a fundraising machine looks like, a Catholic high school is a pretty good example of that. And they trained me and they taught me like, here's how you go about making an ask of, you know, $4,000, $10,000, whatever it is. And I watched how this like truly professional organization did it. And I realized like when I was at that, at the Grand, this small nonprofit movie theater, I was copying like all the wrong things. Like the Catholic high school had this giant auction. And I was like, well, that's how you fundraise is with this giant auction. When I tried to do it, 
it barely broke even. I realized there was way more efficient, way more effective things that I could have been doing. And that got me started in the work and really started me writing the books. I will touch on KNKX. KNKX is a public radio station and uh, jazz blues and NPR news. And I love the media. I love, especially these days, nonpartisan nonprofit news and the arts. So it's a really great fit. And I still get to keep working in my hometown. Oh, that's so great. I do love public radio as well. So your focus with your books has really been nonprofits with the small and very small budgets. So probably people with maybe one employee, maybe a few, or maybe all volunteer organizations. So how did this start? How did this come about? I think it's it's been my focus because, you know, let's be real, who needs the help? <laughs> it's It's not the big guys. They don't need my books. It's the small nonprofits. And I, in many ways, am writing to my younger self. I followed a passion into this without knowing how fundraising worked, without knowing what it meant to run a nonprofit, to serve a board. And none of it's necessarily intuitive. And so when I wrote these books, it's like, here's what I, I wish someone had given me, a roadmap. You know, here's a way to start. A lot of the books that I have checked out get really wonky. They get really jargony. And I try to avoid that. And I'm just like, here is some simple steps. Here are some principles that you can apply and some practical tips for hopefully some quick wins. So I love that you're writing to your younger self. It's what you wish you'd known when you started out. I think that's a great way, first of all, to write a book. So I want to talk about the little book of gold, which is your fundraising book. It's been recognized by Forbes as one of the top 12 must-read books for nonprofit employees and by LinkedIn for nonprofits as one of nine books for your nonprofit reading list. And also Little Green Light created a companion guide, and I love that they provide it free of charge to their customers. I think there's great synergy there. Little Green Light, Little Book of Gold. So what do you teach in the Little Book of Gold? As I said, I really try to have a lot of practical tips, but I would say as a rule, it is a how-to on asking individuals for money, asking in person, asking in a letter, asking in an event, pretty much, is are the main focuses of that book. And I'm framing it that way in my conversation with you now, because in my experience, so many nonprofits, small nonprofits, try to avoid asking. The fundraising strategies that they choose are raffles, restaurant takeovers, friend raisers, where they're trying to get friends but not ask them for money. All of these different things because they're really scared of asking for money when it really comes down to it because no one's told them how it should work. No one's given them a strategy for how to do it. And we are all a little scared of money when it really comes down to it. We've been taught from a young age not to talk about it. And asking requires that you talk about it. You know, when I ask someone for $4,000 or $10,000, that's more than I'm going to give to that nonprofit. That's more than my budget could manage. That's an awkward situation for some people and you need to be coached through it. And so I talk about that, those in-person things. I talk about, you know, how to really make a great annual appeal letter. Sometimes people can hope, well, you know, maybe I'll just send some emails and that'll replace it when emails have such low, you know, returns for for gifts, although they can work. 
And then the other part of it is events. And my chapter in that is called Events Will Kill You. Chapter's called Events Will Kill You. Events Will Kill You, yes. Um, I decided to really go for it because in my experience, so many people really do think of events as like the way to fundraise. And I have worked those giant galas that raise hundreds of thousands of dollars at my high school, Catholic high school. I have you know, tried to implement them as a small nonprofit. I don't think people, if you haven't done it, understand how much work has go- gone into that event months and months in advance, sometimes with like a full-time person coordinating it. It just, especially at a small nonprofit, it might not kill you. You know, give me a little hyperbole uh, there, but it is going to suck the air out of, out of the room for anything else that you want to get done. And so even though I say events will kill you, I also give a template for something that I think is manageable for a small nonprofit. The recommendation that I have is to really consider a, a breakfast fundraiser. I like breakfast because it's a cheaper meal. You don't have the alcohol, which if you've ever thrown a gala, an auction, or whatever it is, figuring out the alcohol is one of those huge, huge, huge issues. Like either people are, you know, you're paying for it, so the ticket price is jacked up, or, and then all of your money goes to the alcohol, or they're paying for it, which means they're paying uh, this big event that's supposed to be for you, they're paying the bar. And so you avoid that. You can get people in and out relatively quickly, you know, 90 minutes maybe. Right. They've got to go to work. Love it. They've got to go to work. You get about the same, you know, with a lunch, but breakfast, I think is a little bit, again, a little bit cheaper, maybe in that regard, eggs are cheap. And then if you can activate the board, especially for like a first time for this to fill tables, you know, you have six or seven board members. That's probably good for 60 to 70 people. In addition to the people who are already in your donor database. So you're getting them to give again. If you can do that well, you have a relatively cheap event with hopefully some board support. And then the key part of it is after you make the ask, because you have to make the ask at the event, getting people into your systems, remembering to get them onto your newsletter, remembering to ask them again at the annual appeal, using this as like the top of the funnel so that you can get people onto all of your material and start looking for some major donors who might come out of this in a year or two. It's a really profitable way to do it. Uh, I shouldn't use profitable. I should say like efficient or something like that. But it works. It is a. It is if you're going to do an event, it's the one that I think really makes a lot of sense for small nonprofits. So for a small nonprofit, first of all, if you don't have a board, how would you go about even starting? And then also, how do you get your board involved in asking for money? I'll start with that second part about getting a board involved in asking for money. I think most nonprofits would benefit from just kind of a baseline. Here's what we ask of every board member and the board should agree to that. So it doesn't necessarily matter to me what those things are, but I think a director could go to their board president and say, we need consensus that can be formalized with something that I call a memorandum of understanding. And on every time I'm either the director or on a board, I try to get this to happen where it's just a one page thing. It's got like 10 to 12 things on it. These are the things we will do. This is what it means to be a board member. Most of it's pretty simple. You know, I will attend at least 80% of the meetings and I will advocate on behalf of the nonprofit, some things like that. Fundraising is part of that. I will be a donor to the nonprofit. I think that's getting your board involved. You should strive for 100% donations. Sometimes foundations ask for that. So it's, it really is, I think, assumed and expected that you have 100% donors on your board. 
that is getting the board involved in fundraising. I like to say something like, I will participate in one to two fundraising events throughout the year, um, or fundraising activities. Let me revise that. So that might mean envelope stuffing. That might mean calling donors and thanking them. Those are very benign activities that any board member should be willing to do. They're not scary. I think that those are pretty uncontroversial. And then there should be something like, if there is an annual event, I will fill a table, which means them activating their network, their college friends, their coworkers possibly, and trying to get eight to 10 people to join them at a breakfast like this. Will everyone do it? Some people might fall off a little bit. But if you put that expectation out there, you're going to get, I think, and, and have that conversation as a board. In my experience, people rise to the occasion. They at least try to do these things. And that's the basis for an event. How did you see these kind of events change in the last two years? Are they coming back? Did more events shift to digital? Did they just kind of go, go on hiatus? Oh, that's such a good question. I've seen a lot of digital events with, you know, very mixed success. They started to get more and more highly produced as people figured out the technology. The board that I'm, I serve on right now, we did two of these and we didn't have a lot of success with either one. I really think in our case, we used it as just kind of like a kickoff to the end of the year campaign. And I think that when it is digital, it's worth thinking about it, not just as that one day thing, but it's like part of a bigger fundraising mix. I am excited to go back into person because it is a more effective way to fundraise. But uh, if this is where we are, then I think that that would be my recommendation is don't just treat it as like, we're trying to get all these donations on this one day. We are trying to get people's attention for other ways of giving throughout this, this like fundraising season. You know, because it's you're going to be getting gifts early on. You're going to be getting gifts after the event. Don't just try to pin it all on this one day. So where can small nonprofits find donors, especially if they're just starting out? This is a question that I get pretty frequently. I really think the event is a really good place to do it because you're bringing in board members. Really tapping your social, by which I will also include things like email and things like that. I think about concentric circles around your nonprofit. Like in that closest circle, you have your major donors, you have your volunteers, people who really know and love you. In the circle outside of it, you have just regular donors. Outside of that are the people on your Facebook pages, your subscribers on your newsletter. Outside that, you're at people who like like you but don't subscribe to anything. And outside that, you have like people who would like you if they just knew about you. And outside that is the general public. And so often people are like focused on the general public and they're like, how do we get that person to give us money? <laughs> and, and as I think you, you know this well enough, like what I just painted is a picture of like how fundraising blends into marketing and everyone's always focused on both marketing and fundraising on those, the general public. My recommendation for, for fundraising, for marketing as well, just try to get a visual that I hopefully just put into your head. Try to get everyone one step closer. Like what is your strategy for getting the people who like you onto your, you know, to subscribe to something? How do you get your subscribers to give for the first time? How do you give those donors to become monthly donors or major donors? It's a lot of smaller problems as opposed to the one big problem. How do we get more donors? 
So that's my framework when I think about these things. And then the other thing that I would say is don't be afraid to ask your current donors for more money. The small nonprofits, this is one of those things where a small nonprofit often really doesn't want to do this step, but it's actually where a lot of the benefits of fundraising come, is building up those major donors. So you have a lot of people who give you $100 a year. That's great. How do you get some of those people to give $250? Maybe you try to get a bunch of people at monthly donors at $20 a month. That'll get you $240. And then find those people who can give $500 or $1,000. So a director might take some time to choose the top five or 10 people who you know they think are going to be their best donors, get to know them over coffee, phone calls, visit them at their house. And then make that ask in person for those those things, those people who have the potential, you think, to give a little bit more. You're filling out what's called the top of the donor pyramid, where you are getting a lot of money from a fewer group of people. And it's really where the relationships pay off after usually like a couple of years. And if you have that strategy, you're getting a, a lot more money from even a small donor donor pool because you're willing to make that effort, you're willing to have that risk of like, maybe they'll say no, like that's an emotional risk. But if you're willing to overcome that, that's where the real power of of fundraising is, is in filling out that top tier. I think a lot of smaller nonprofits, especially, they're trying to focus on things like you said, events, but also things like grants, or finding a rich person in the community to give them money, or finding that local foundation or that corporate sponsor. So what would you say, what's your advice on sort of diversifying revenue and really almost getting comfortable with asking individuals for money? Every nonprofit has a different, what's the word I want to say, like a different natural funding base. Some nonprofits really lend themselves to individual donations. Some nonprofits really lend themselves to grants. And Whichever one you are, you're probably, you probably could tell, oh yeah, we mostly get grants. Oh yeah, we're mostly individuals. You know, the community theater probably gets a lot of individual donations, both the earned revenue from their patrons and then their patrons also giving them money. Something, you know, that's a a shelter, let's say probably has a lot more grants, city support, state support, maybe federal support. And they probably also have individual donations, but I would guess that they're primarily reliant on some sort of grant base. So when I think about diversifying revenue, when you have whichever side you're on, I really like to encourage an executive director to say, you know, what's my second or my third smallest pieces of revenue? Like, let's say you're 70% reliant on grants. And so you have this remaining 30% that's individual donations and things. Could you double that? Could you take that and double it? Or let me put it a different way. This is actually even more common. I'm 90% reliant on grants, and I have this just tiny little bit of donations. That's probably a little bit more easier to double. That's how I think about diversifying, is take your smaller things, those things that are the parts that like you wish you could build up, and see if you can double it over two or three years. You're probably also growing your other base, so that's good too. But this is something that I've seen is, is like, I remember I worked with this nonprofit, they had a $20 million budget. So they were definitely not a small nonprofit, but they had never asked individuals for money. It was entirely state and federal grants. 
And so they really were starting from scratch in the ways that many small nonprofits do. And that was that was my recommendation. It was like, let's go from 1% to 2%, you know what I mean? Like of your budget, like how can you start basically from scratch? It's And they, they did the same thing that I'm talking about. They, they started with a big event to try to get broad community support. They turned those into annual appeals and then and then major gifts eventually. Wow. No, those are really some really great tips. So I encourage everyone, check out the little book of gold. I want to shift now quickly to another book that you wrote, The Little Book of Likes. Now, this is something that my audience loves. Um, they come to me for social media advice, digital marketing advice. So I want to ask you a question that I get every single day. I think I just got it five times today. <laughs> when you're a one-person shop, Wearing all the hats, how can you shoehorn social media management into the work? What is your piece of advice? I think a, a plan is definitely the best place to start. Fundraising and marketing are two of the things where there's always something more you could do. You could spend your entire career doing those two things and you would still have more ideas and things to try. So try to come up with in advance a plan that seems reasonable. I will update my Facebook page twice a week, once a week twice a month, whatever it is, to try to come up with a plan that you think you could manage. And then I also am a huge fan of batching that work if you can in advance, if blogging makes sense to you, let's say, that makes sense to your nonprofit where you post inspirational stories, you're going to do that twice a month, once a month, whatever it is, keeping those things active. And then take a couple hours and see if you can write three or four of them at once get ahead a little bit. So those are some of the things that I tend to think about for the very busy one person shop. I also would recommend, you know, it's worth putting a little bit of money towards some of these things when it, especially when it comes to Facebook. I think it's worth putting $5, $10 towards some sort of boosting just to try to make sure it's getting out to the people who like your page. I also recommend really thinking about what the next step is. So it's great that you have an active Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter, whatever it is. What's your mechanism for getting those people onto email? What's your mechanism for getting those people off of those social media platforms, which you don't own, and onto your those things that you can control a lot more? And then that it's easier to ask for money. It's easier to do those things. That might be in person. You know, you might say, "Come to this." You know, we're having a free whatever it is, but getting them off of those things and trying to get those relationships solidified either in real life or via email, I think is really important because not just, you know, you don't own them, but the algorithms, all of that stuff, you just have no control over. It is actually one reason why, and this is true from uh, that I've been feeling from my time at KNKX Public Radio, podcasting is a really interesting idea for a small nonprofit, if you have the interest, if you have things to talk about, again, don't just jump into it because I said it, like really think about whether this fits for you. You can evade a lot of the algorithms. If you do a half hour podcast, you know, twice a month, by the end of the year, that is several hours that the listener has had you in their ear. They really feel like they know you. And when you ask for money, you know, on um, those two December podcasts, let's say, like, you might really be surprised by what you get. This is something that I've taken from KNKX is just the power of being in people's ears. Um, when the host asks for money during the fund drive, people give. So it's something that a small nonprofit might consider, again, as you know, lots of time with it. 
But for some people who have the interest and who think that they would enjoy it and who have the stories or the thoughts or the insights to share, it's a really interesting way to approach this as well. And then you have something to share to Facebook and Twitter and all of those things. Exactly. It's a piece of content that you own and you can distribute it where you want to distribute it. But your point about audio being so powerful. So that's why video is very powerful when people can see things and they can envision them and they can connect with them. Audio is similar in that way that people are hearing a voice constantly. And if you think about how people listen to podcasts, it's much, it's almost more intimate than social media. Like I check social media when I'm watching TV, when I'm doing other things almost. But podcasts, a lot of the time I'm in my car, I'm going for a walk, I'm folding laundry, but I'm still listening. I wish that more nonprofits would take their content that they put on social media or in their blog or their email newsletter and make an audio file of it or make a, you know, create a podcast around it. I think that's a a great point. We should always be looking for these ways to connect with our donors you know, in kind of different ways. But I think that's great. So you have four books, one on nonprofit management, one on board development, the little book of likes we talked about social media and the little book of gold is fundraising. You said you have a bundle of all of the books offered on your website. And I know that you offer savings over Amazon. So that's always good. Where can people get those books? I would point people to my website, which is forsmallnonprofits.com. That's F-O-R, forsmallnonprofits.com. And what I figured out is a way to save over Amazon, which um, is, a, is a bundle of five of the little book, five or more of the little book of boards. And that's a way to, um, you know, however many your board is, you know, get one for each of them. You'll save 30% off of the, the cover price on that. And if you do that, the three books that are primarily for like the executive director, I will throw those in for free. So 30% off of the board books. And then for the executive director, those three books are free. And because uh, we're cutting out the middleman with Amazon, I'm able to do that. So it's a savings for the nonprofit, the executive director who, you know, perhaps really wants their board to read the board book because, you know, they really need some board help, but they don't want to say it. Maybe they say, hey, this is how I could get these three books for free. So you might be able to uh, sneak in some learning for them while you also get three free for yourself. That's my bundle. And I think it's uh, it's a pretty compelling offer over Amazon. I love that. Forsmallnonprofits.com. If you are in the Seattle, Tacoma area, make sure you listen to KNKX Public (laughs) Radio. Uh, Support public radio, really important. I totally believe in it. And I support my local station here in Boston. So if you are in the area, make sure you take a listen, go check out Eric's books. And Eric, thanks so much for being here today and sharing your wealth of expertise. Thank you for having me. It was such a great conversation. Well, hey there. I wanted to say thank you for tuning into my show and for listening all the way to the end. If you really enjoyed today's conversation, make sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, and you'll get new episodes downloaded as soon as they come out. I would love if you left me a rating or a review because this tells other people that my podcast is worth listening to. 
and then me and my guests can reach even more earbuds and create even more impact. So that's pretty much it. I'll be back soon with a brand new episode. But until then, you can find me on Instagram at juliacampbell77. Keep changing the world, you nonprofit unicorn.